Ephesians chapter 1. I'm excited about the message this morning. The Lord has been pouring out such an amazing grace. How many know His grace is amazing? It never dies or fades, never stops. It rains from heaven. It's abundant. It abounds towards us. His grace is still amazing. The grace that saved you is the grace that will keep you and the grace that you're supposed to grow in. The grace of God was not just amazing when He bought you and when you received Him, but it's still amazing right now. And He's healing hearts and He's removing mindsets of tradition and lies of religion and things that sometimes I don't think we realize we, uh, we walk and talk Christianity with these mindsets and strongholds. And I want to talk about them today. I, want to, I pray that today we can, we can really see uh, in Scripture and by revelation through the Holy Spirit what it means to be a child of God. How many know that you have an inheritance from heaven? We read a lot of Scriptures about being a son and a daughter of God, but I, I pray that today you hear His voice, that you hear the Spirit of the Word. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they're life. And so the breath of God's word, I pray that it breathes into you. And so let's talk about a couple of those things. You know, it's funny how so much of what we do in the church is uh, based on tradition. When we first planted the church, I remember thinking like, all right, God, I don't know what it's going to look like, but here's a little format and this is expandable, whatever you want to do. And we kind of, and it's changed a lot. Worship is longer. And it took some time to build a culture of worship. Some people are not used to worshiping for 45, 50 minutes an hour or over an hour sometimes. They, they, and it's okay to sit down and all that stuff. But I think that a lot of people are used to the, you know, 20 minutes of worship and the video announcements and then short message or whatever. And, and so we have cultures in the church. We have a lot of traditions. Some traditions are good. Some aren't good. I'm going to give you an example of a couple. One of them is prayer. You know, it's funny to me that, that Jesus rebuked long prayers, but we encourage them. Isn't that a great example? Why is it, oh man, you just, you don't pray enough. Or, or your prayer was just not long enough. You know, let's pray over the food and someone thinks they got to pray for the missionaries in Africa, right? Pastor Shane, we always talk about that. Lord, I bless this food. And Lord, I bless the table over here because I know they didn't pray. So let me bless them too right now because I'm religious. We rebuke uh, short prayers and Jesus rebuked long prayers. Because Jesus was trying to cut through all the stuff. Jesus was trying to cut through all the many repetitious words, just vain, Father God, Lord God, Jesus, Jesus, Father God, Father God, soul to the Spirit, Father God, Lord God, Jesus, Father, soul to the Holy Ghost. When I was seven years old, this is no joke, I was raised Catholic, I used to pray and I'd say over and over, Father, I love you, God, Jesus, and Lord, I love you, God, Jesus, and Lord, I love you, God, Jesus, and Lord, I love you, God, Jesus, thinking that maybe, maybe he would answer my prayer, but not realizing that he heard my heart the whole time. That's actually what the scripture means when it says he knows what you're going to ask. It doesn't mean you, don't, you can pray silently. It means he knows your heart. And if we learn to pray from the heart, we don't have to pray for five hours. We can still spend time with God for five hours, but not talk for five hours. Maybe talk for five minutes and listen for four hours and 55 minutes. God is tearing down religious strongholds. 
Here's, a good, here's another example. What, what do we do, church? Come on, we're all, how many here, you've been to church? You're in church now. We're all church, right? We've got a little church in us. It's time to bow for a word of prayer. What do we do? We bow our heads and we close our eyes, right? Raise your hand if, if that's right. Wrong. <laughs> Why do we do that? Tradition. Jesus prayed this way. He lifted his eyes to heaven. And he said, Father. Because he wasn't afraid of God's face. He, wasn't, he, he didn't have an image of the Father that somehow the Father's face is full of disappointment. But religion paints a picture of the face of God that somehow we're still orphans. Or maybe we're still servants and slaves. I just want to serve God. I just want to serve God. Well, that's good, but you should be a son that serves, not a servant that tries to act like a son. I, I want to serve God from a place of sonship, but I'm not a servant. I just want to serve God. Well, you should stop serving and you should become a child of God. What do you mean? The pastor told me I should stop serving God. Jesus rebuked Martha because she was distracted with serving. And he said, be like Mary, sit at the table and hear my words. God is removing lies. He's tearing down tradition. I want to learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. Not like tradition teaches me. Now we close our eyes in worship. Sometimes it helps not being distracted. It's okay. But what happens is, is when God is moving on our hearts, instead of responding like this and open and receive, because everything, your expression, the way we worship, how many know the way we worship, the way we express, shows what's in our hearts. So God's moving on us. Instead, we cower down low and we bow our heads and we're thinking, I'm so ashamed. When we should say, God, you're just loving on me. I'm just, I'm just going to... I'm going to let you embrace me. I'm going to let you heal my heart, God. I'm going to let you remove these lies that I've believed. I can't tell my wife that I love her. Well, I can, but I can't tell her with a look alone. I mean, she, I got some looks, and she knows I'm a looks, you know. But how, how would it justify me saying, oh, I love my wife. I tell her all the time. Watch, here, I'm doing it now. Was there any expression to me telling her that I love her? Yet Christians think, I'm just going to worship from my heart. This is how I worship. Now, I know some, God's still working on some of you guys. You're learning to be free. It's okay. But learn to worship God not just with your heart, but your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. David, the man after God's own heart, worshiped with all of his might. That's what God's looking for. He's looking for a bride that will learn to express worship, prayer, all this stuff. And I've, I've got to learn my inheritance to understand this. This is going to be one of the keys. I want to teach you how, what does it practically look like to understand that I'm a son and a daughter? And how do I learn? How, how, how can that be expounded on in my life? How can it be continually revealed to me that I'm a son and that the Father loves me? Because I'm telling you, I've been saved since I was 17. I'm 37 now. And I'm still discovering the love of the Father. But I'm not an orphan. And God is He's literally wrecked some of my bad theology so He could replace it with healthy heart understanding and revelation that I can live in. And it becomes a part of me. And I tear down these strongholds. Mark 
7.13 says, Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. Jesus is saying this. He's saying your tradition has nullified the power of God's word. God's word's like a seed. And what happens is if we believe some of these things and we stick to these and we still think I'm a servant and, and we cower and we're religious and somber, we take the power of what God wants to do in our lives, our families, our churches, and we put it in a freezer. It doesn't rid the seed of power. It nullifies it. It neutralizes it. The seed still has power, but it's in the wrong environment. And tradition takes the power of God in our lives and freezes it. And God wants to unfreeze and defrost some of those things on the inside of you. Titus 3.5 says He saved us, not because of the righteous things we've done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. One translation says regeneration. We've got new genes. We've got new DNA. I'm no longer just, uh, I'm no longer just a lost sinner. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint transformed by grace. And I grow in grace and I live by grace. I'm not a sinner anymore. Though I might make mistakes, that doesn't make me a sinner. Hello? We can't let what we did in their past and what we may do seldomly define who we are. But we identify through sonship and we break these traditional lies and we learn to lift our heads when we pray and we learn what God is really looking for. He's looking for our hearts. It will defrost all these frozen, neutralized things in our lives that have so much power that God wants to unlock. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, let me read it to you from the message. Stay in Ephesians 1. Don't follow along yet unless you have the message Bible. It will probably confuse you. I'll be reading um, from some other verses in just a moment. How blessed is God and what a blessing He is. He is the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ and takes us to the highest places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down the earth's foundations, He had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of His love, to be made holy by His love. I love the way New King James says that we would be found blameless in Him. You know, God has a perfect forgetter. Somebody here was a sinner and they just rejoiced. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Was. God has a perfect forgetter. We don't. Somebody hurts us and we usually remember it. The more we become like God, it's easier to just let it go. Someone came to me recently that said something, did something, offended, hurt me or whatever a couple years ago. And this person came up. They don't go to this church and someone's going to try to figure out who it is now. And they're like, I'm so sorry that one time. And I'm like, what'd you do? I, I literally forgot. See, God doesn't have a hard time with that. It doesn't take him two years. It just takes your heart to receive forgiveness. He's a perfect forgetter. You're blameless before him. It's as if you've never sinned. That's how he looks at you. The same way he looks at Jesus. As the, Jesus said, if the father loved me, I love you. Abide in my love. Let me love you. Learn that we love you the same way. I love you the same way the Father loves me. Jesus is pure and sinless. We're blameless in Him. Say, I'm blameless in Him. It's like you never sinned. When you think this way and understand this, it's easy not to live under the power 
of sin, the force of sin, the poison, the pollution of sin in the world. Because you know who you are. Luke 15, 31. Oh, let me finish reading. I'm jumping ahead. So he said, we're the focus of his love. Verse 5 from the message. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Isn't that good? It was... It was so much pleasure planning he had planned. I mean, I think about the heart of a mom or a dad, parents that want to have kids. Some couples try for years and, and they're left heartbroken and some adopt and, and then some, you know, they have kids and praise the Lord for that. Sometimes our bodies aren't perfect and, you know, sometimes things get whole and things work out and, and God blesses, and we, we pray for that. We don't want barrenness. We want reproduction. And I think about this verse, and imagine a couple planning to adopt a kid, and they're just so longing to have their own. I think about the father. Imagine this triune God before the foundation of the world planning to adopt you into his own family. That's the joy you bring his heart. You're the focus of his love. Luke chapter 15, verse 31. I'm going to read this to you. How many know the story of the prodigal son? We're very familiar with it. It's a story of someone who didn't know their inheritance and they blew it. And they come back expecting to just be a hired servant. How many have ever found themselves like the prodigal son waking up where pigs play? Hello? Coming to their senses saying, I got to go home to daddy. Sometimes that looks like going home to a family too. Going home to your parents going home, forgiving, letting go, forgiving yourself, saying, God, I got it. I need restoration. So he comes home and he's like, I don't care if my father makes me one of his hired servants. I got to go home. I'm living in this filth and I need to get cleaned up. He comes home. The father's looking at the horizon waiting. The father didn't run after him because he was waiting for the son to recognize the love that the father had for him. The son had to come home. See, leaving the 99 and going after the one is not the same thing as looking at the horizon and waiting for the prodigals to come home. We can't worry about our prodigals, moms and dads. We pray for them. But let the Lord share the burden with us. Can't worry about it. Sometimes our worry can spiritually affect their lives. We have no idea. So the prodigal son is this great story. He comes home. The father's arms are open. Hallelujah. And he says, you're my son. Let's kill the fatted calf. Let's eat some filet mignon. Come on, somebody. We're going to party down. Here's a robe. Let's put this thing on you. Here's a ring. I'm going to put on your finger, shoes on your feet. We're partying down. The other son, say the other son. Doug is the other son. I am the other son. Some of you are the other sons. Now, we're all the other sons metaphorically, but I'm, I'm kidding. The other son, the weird guy, you know, the one that's a little... And he's not all together, but he sure is gifted. That's me. Right? Come on, somebody. Bless our hearts. Bless his heart. He really has a good heart. <laughs> so the other son gets mad. Dad, what's going on? He blew his inheritance. He's a sinner. He did all this and he's just invited welcome and you killed a fatted calf? 
I thought that was going to be for my wedding. I'm paraphrasing. I thought that was going to be for a special event. Daddy says, this is a special event. My son was dead, but now he's alive. He's come home. And he says something so profound. I pray you hear God saying it to you right now. Listen to what he says to the other son. Healing the orphan wound in his heart, even though he lived with his father. Luke 15, 31. Son, you're always with me and all I have is yours. He had no idea what he had access to because he thought like an orphan. First Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his special people, that you would proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, if we live in darkness, orphan thinking will fester. But if we live in the light of his face, those dark strongholds, because strongholds can only develop in your mind and heart in dark places, places we don't allow the Lord access to. Oh, God, I don't pray like this. I pray like this because what I'm expressing on the inside is you have all of me, God. You have all of my heart. King Jesus, I bow. Royal priesthood, holy nation. Now let me get to the main text, the main part of this teaching. Are you ready? It's about to get really good. Say, it's about to get good. I Have you tell yourself that so you, you think it's a better message than it really is. Here's some, here's some treasures. Are you ready for some jewels, some diamonds, some treasures? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 through 14, let me read it to you. In him, we also have obtained an inheritance. Say, I've obtained an inheritance. Being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom you also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Look at verse 14. Who is the guarantee? Who's who? Holy Spirit. He says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And remember when this was written, it was a letter. There's no verses. The Holy Spirit of promise. Who? The Holy Spirit is the guarantee. The guarantee. The seal. The signet. The guarantee. The Holy Spirit's the guarantee. The Spirit is the guarantee of my inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. I'm still learning my inheritance and discovering, but I, don't know, I want to know what this guarantee is. What is this guarantee? How do I understand I'm a child of God? How do I know my inheritance? What's my inheritance? What is my inheritance? Well, there's a lot to that. But it starts with understanding I'm a son. What is this word? Let me unpack this for you. Let me help you define it. This word guarantee, are you ready to learn Greek? Arabon. Say it. Arabon. You sound like a Greek man living on the isles of Greece. Except your shirt is buttoned all the way up and your chest is not hairy with a gold chain. That's the only difference. <laughs> I made myself laugh. Uh, Arabon is this word guarantee. Now let me give you three definitions. Are you ready? First one, earnest money. Some of your Bibles even say it, earnest. The Holy Spirit is our earnest. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee of our inheritance. He helps us understand our inheritance, but he's the seal, the guarantee. What does this mean? One of the definitions could look like this. When you buy a home, those of you that have ever bought a home, you give what's called an earnest money deposit. The seller requires it and says, 
let's say for conversation's sake, make it real round numbers, $100,000 you're buying a house for, right? This home, you need to put $5,000 down earnest money. What that says is that I'm putting this money down as an earnest, as a guarantee that I'm going to fulfill the contractual commitment. Hello? Does that make sense? Now, in this context, it might make sense with this Greek word, but it's not It's not really what Paul's saying because remember Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus. They're a Greek culture. So let's, we got to go to expositorily understand the scripture. You got to look at who, what, where, when, why, how. Otherwise you'll take it out of context and then it's just pretext and then it can become something that it's really not. So I want to know what it really really says. That is not the best picture. And if we were to look at that, that maybe that is a a good picture of it, it wouldn't even just be earnest money. It would be non-refundable earnest money. In other words, God says... I'm not getting this. This is an investment that I'm not looking for in return. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm giving you the seal, the down payment, the earnest of this thing. And I'm, I'm in it. That's one way, but that's really not what Paul's saying. So if I look at the word erabon, another thing it could mean is a seal or a signet. Here's, here's a way to describe it. Let's say that I was a king and I heard about a city that was oppressed And I heard about a city that there was rebels hurting the city or something like that. And so I write a letter and I write a letter and I say, I'm going to change things because my kingdom is going to be extended over here. And I'm going to make this oppression stop. I'm going to destroy the enemy and I'm going to restore the walls of the city. Now, I don't just write a letter. I write a letter and then I put a seal on it. I put an erabon on it. Now, sometimes this seal would be called a signet. It would be on the ring of the king because he held it dear. It wasn't something that, uh, that you could just counterfeit because... If this signet was on this letter, it meant business. It meant the king was behind. There was authority behind this letter. It wasn't just a pretty signature. It had an arabon on it, a seal. And you knew what the king was saying was true, and he was going to follow up with his word. And sure, in time, restoration and repair would begin over that city. But that's really not the best definition for what he's trying to say. Because today, if I went to Greece and I said, you know, the word Arabon, they wouldn't talk about a seal and a king. They wouldn't talk about earnest money deposit. It would be something else. In context, it actually is talking about a deep commitment of love. It's actually talking about an engagement. I remember 13 years ago falling in love with my bride over 13 years ago. We are celebrating 13 years of marriage this month on the 30th. Come on, somebody. Make sure you send us money so we can leave and get away from our children before we have one more. So I'm falling in love with my wife and we're never alone together because we don't compromise. That actually didn't happen. I want to be transparent about that right now. Did you hear what I said? We, we were alone. Okay. A lot of passion. So God help us. Young men and women, don't be alone. So, yeah, or old men, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I'm in love with my wife. I, I've decided in my heart, I choose her. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. And, and I'm going to express my, the commitment of my love to her. I want to marry her. I want to marry her, have babies. And, and so what do I do? 
young men, let me just teach you a little bit. You ask mom or dad, right? So I go to Lee. How many know who Lee is? The Brazilian cool bass player. He really does look like a Miami Vice guy with a shirt open and the gold chain. If he said Arabon, it would really, it would be perfect. Can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? He says, heck no, white boy. No, that's not what he said. But there's more to it. What do I need to do? Do I walk up to my lady? And some of y'all might think this is a way to do it. I think I might have tried this. What's up, baby? You know you want me. Would you like to receive the blessing of me to be your husband? Some of you started that way and you still think that way. That's why your marriage is jacked. I got news for you. You're not the prize. She is. So something had to happen. I had to say, I had to get on my knees, right? Let's just pretend I'm on my knees. My knee hurts. No, I'm just, I want you to see me. I said, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And then I pull out an Arabon, a ring. And this is a valuable seal that I put on your finger. Can I put it on your finger? What am I, a clown? And it's, it portrays a deep commitment of love. It's the same thing Jesus did when he, he spread his arms wide open. He proposed to the bride. And then he sent the Holy Spirit. Now, what is, if I went up to a, a Greek woman who just got engaged, and I said, let me see your ring at a bond. She'd be like, bam, check that stone out. Ladies, come on, you know you're proud of your stone, right? Well, you should be if it's a big stone, right? That big stone's coming, don't worry, 10-year anniversary. It took a while for us. We had to upgrade to start out with the QZ, the Cubazicornian. Okay. Now she's got the real deal. I was young, man. Couldn't afford that $3,000 thing. But she would show you her stone, her ring, her arabon. Now, in that culture, men could not take that thing back. It was non-refundable. In this culture, it might be a little bit different. Try to break it off. I want the ring back, baby. I depleted my savings for that thing. That's not the way Jesus looks at it. He makes an internal investment, an eternal investment in us. But guess what the stone is? It's not just a gem or a diamond. It's himself. That's why earnest money does not equate to to understanding what he's really saying. Because it's not 5% of the whole thing. It's 100% of the whole thing. He says, this is the value I'm putting on you. I'm giving you myself, my spirit, my essence, who I am. That's why Paul says we have this treasure in our earthen vessels. If you go to Greece and you say, let me see your ring. And they're called, you Arabon. She'd be like, here it is right here. Bam, big old rock. See, orphans don't understand the Arabon that they have, the inheritance that they have. They understand it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness with our spirit. And it teach, he teaches us that we're children of God. And we're no longer slaves. We're no longer in fear and in bondage, but we cry out, Daddy, God, the most affectionate way to say, Father, Daddy, that I have his very presence as a guarantee that Jesus himself proposed when he spread his arms and he says, I'm giving everything. The bridegroom wasn't messing around. And then he said, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He looked at the disciples in John chapter 20 and he said, I'm breathing on you. Receive the Holy Spirit. 
Receive your Adabon. Receive the guarantee of your inheritance. In the words of Leonard Jones, in the lyrics from Bless the Lord, he says, of all the places where you could live, you chose to live in me. I'm just the setting, but you are the stone. Forever and ever, I will sing, bless the Lord. Wow. See, when you go from slave to son, you'll go from struggling to walking in strength. I want to close by reading a few verses to you out of Romans. And I want you to actually, I want to ask you to close your eyes for the sake of not being distracted. Sometimes it helps. I'm going to be reading out of a different translation. I want you to just listen. I'm going to read a few verses, but I pray these words will bring life to your whole being. That the seed of God's promises in you that maybe have been dormant and cold because of tradition, religion, or orphan thinking, that God would breathe upon them and you'd allow Him in those places in your heart to rethink some things, to have a change of mind, to have a change of heart. And then I want to close. As soon as I'm done reading, I'm going to close with a a powerful clip. It's a two-minute clip, and then I'm going to dismiss you, of a movie of a young boy who was poisoned by his culture. And he lost, his, his dad lost his son. And he was poisoned by this culture to, and he was forced to do bad things. And it's a picture of, of how sometimes we think that we struggle with sin because we're sinners. But as Christians, we're no longer sinners. We're saints saved by grace. Transformed by grace. Grace is a standard. And this clip is so powerful to me because it's the Father coming and telling him, no, you're not bad just because you've done that stuff in the past. You're my son. And so I'm going to close with these words of God from Romans chapter 8 that will bring victory and power and resurrection life in you. And then I'm going to close. I want you to watch this clip. It's so powerful. Amazing acting. Close your eyes and let me read this and declare this over you. Romans chapter 8. Starting at verse 1. Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Jesus Christ from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses couldn't save us because of our sinful nature. But God put it into effect in a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in human body like ours, except ours are sinful God destroyed sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled and accomplished for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, your Arabon, think about the things that please the Spirit. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there's death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there's life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws. It never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit 
if you have the Spirit of God living in you. Don't you love how he does that? Keep your eyes closed. He says, but you're not controlled by your, your sinful, sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit because the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit, lives in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living them are not Christians at all. A few more verses. Since Christ lives within you, even though your body will die because of sin, your spirit is alive because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as He raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal body by this same Spirit living within you. Dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You're not an orphan. If you keep on following it, you will perish. But though, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, you turn from it and its evil deeds you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Or you could say it this way, children of God are led by the Spirit. A lot of times in the Greek language, that's actually how we see it in John 1.1. 1, 1, and God was the Word in the Greek is actually, and the Word, or in the Word was God is actually, and God was the Word. Very familiar passage. Now, let me seal it with this. Are you ready? Verse 15 and 16. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children, adopted into his family, calling him father, daddy, dear father. For his Holy Spirit speaks us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. I know I'm a child because he's given me a guarantee. He's given me the most precious thing, his Holy Spirit, and he teaches me deep in my heart that I don't have to come cowering, but I can say, Abba, I don't have to bow my head and close my eyes and pray. I can lift my head up to heaven and say, Father, Daddy, I love you. Don't believe the lies. What you've done in the past shouldn't define you. Daddy is telling you you're his child. And all the old lies will fade under his voice. Watch this clip. Solomon. What are you doing? Elijah Vandi of the Prowl Mende tribe. You're a good boy who loves soccer and school. Your mother loves you so much. She waits by the fire making plantains and red palm oil stew with your sister and you do baby. The cows wait for you. And Babu, the wild dog who wants no one but you. I knew they made you do bad. 
Rose. You're not a bad boy. I am your father. Who loves you. And you will come home with me and be my son again. Powerful. Come on. I want you to stand up with me if you would, please. Would you just close your eyes? I want to pray for some people in here. Some of you, this spoke directly to you. Maybe many of you. We want to pray for you. We don't want you to leave this place until you, you connect with someone. And you allow somebody... And God, to use somebody to just touch your life and prophesy in your life, speak words of God into your life, what God's saying about your life right now, release the love of the Father over you. We're gonna, we want to break down those traditions, those, those things that have kept us from a right relationship with God, living like a son and a daughter. See, it's not pleasing to God thinking that I'm not pleasing to God. It's pleasing to God knowing I please Him, and then I can please Him because I'm a son. I'm a son that serves, not a servant trying to act like a son. I am a son. The Holy Spirit's been given, sealed, the seal, the Erebon, the promise, this valuable, priceless treasure of his own spirit that teaches me I'm a a son and and, and a child of God. Those of you that want prayer, I want to ask, I want to ask you to do this for me real quick. You're saying, here's what you're saying. You're saying, Pastor... Maybe your marriage needs help. Maybe maybe the root of why you're struggling is because of orphan thinking. Because you both have an identity crisis. Maybe you're in this place and you're just saying, God, I want to know your love more. And I can feel your love just beating for me right now in this moment. I want you to lift your hand up and say, I want someone to pray for me. Would you just raise your hand? Everyone in this room that feels that, just slip up your hand. There's hands going up all over the room. You're saying, God, I just need to encounter your love. I want you to do this. I want you to keep your hand raised. And I want to ask our prayer team and our pastoral staff, quickly find some people. Quickly find them. If you don't have your hand raised and you're a believer and you want to impart God's love to someone close by, find someone with their hand raised. Put your hand on their shoulder and begin to pray for them. When you feel someone's hand on your shoulder and someone begins to pray, you can put your hand down. But leave it up until somebody comes nearby. There's a lady right over here that needs prayer. Stephanie, would you go and would you pray? Amen. Keep your hand raised until someone has met you. Believers, find someone with their hand raised quickly. Let's release the love of the Father right now. Lord, we release the love of the Father over every life. Come against orphan lies, wounds from the past, hurts from the past. And Lord, we just speak life. We speak the blessing of the Father's love. And Lord, we know that you just embrace us. Lord, you long, just like the prodigal father, just come and you just embrace us, God. Let your love come and just fill us. Just fill us to overflowing. 
We want to encounter your love. We're learning that we're children of God. We're not just servants, we're children. We receive your love and we bow to you, Jesus. We surrender our hearts to you, Lord, right now. Pour out your love, Father. Pour out your grace right now for that new beginning. Abba, say it out loud. Those of you that are going to pray for say, Daddy God, I receive your love. Come on, let Daddy embrace you. He's not just this distant, you know, transcendent God. He's a Father. He's a Father. He's holy and powerful and beautiful, but He's a Father. Just say it. Say, Daddy, I receive your love. Out loud. Say, Daddy, I receive your love. I let you love me. It's ridding all these lies. They're fading right now. They're fading, God. And we thank you for it. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. I want you, those of you that are receiving ministry, take your time. You can, if you even want to be seated and just sometimes, even in worship, we think we have to do something for the Lord. And sometimes a great form of worship is just letting him love you. You know, as a father, I'm pleased much more by my son sitting still so I can hug him than him trying to impress me. I'm more impressed by letting him just love Letting him, uh, you know, say, Daddy, just hold me. Just sit still and let him hold me. God wants to do that with some of you. So we want to bless you. I want to dismiss everybody. But those of you that just want to bask in the Father's love, so to speak, you can be seated. You can come to the altar. And we want to continue to just love on you. So, Father, I bless your people right now. I declare they're the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. They're blessed coming in, going out. Lord, I declare right now that they're more than conquerors, more than overcomers through Christ Jesus. We bless them right now with the blessing of heaven. Thank you for protection. Thank you for wholeness. Thank you that your kingdom is coming in power, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You're Lord of all. And Lord, I just declare peace and grace over every heart, life, and family in Jesus' name. Thank the Lord before you leave and love someone before you go. God bless you.